This is Shifting Our Schools Podcast, episode 31. I'm back. Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Well, it's great to be back here on the Shifting Our Schools podcast. Uh, that was a long break. Uh, for those of you that uh, are new to the podcast, this isn't the first episode. This is episode number 31. As uh, David Carpenter and I started this podcast back in 2008 and 2009 and did 30 episodes before things uh, in our lives um, kind of went different ways and we kind of, uh, I guess, put the show on hiatus for a while. Um, And uh, now we're back, or I'm back. And uh, David is going to be around with us as well on the podcast for those that... uh, are still hanging around. I've kept the domain through all these years and I've kept the um, files. So it made it easy to get the up website. Well, it seemed easy to get the website updated. It really wasn't. I had to reinstall the WordPress and go through all this stuff. But uh, all the audio files were still there. And that made it really nice and uh, easy to, to get this started again. So I'm so excited to be back podcasting um, and to be bringing Shifting Our Schools into the Adura Learning family. And we're going to talk more about that here in just a second. But I was wondering what to do for this first episode. And um, it's a Saturday morning here in Seattle, Washington, where I now make my home. And it's uh, rainy and wet and cold, maybe 45 degrees outside. And um, I woke up this morning when I was thinking about what's the first podcast getting back going with Shifting Our Schools. And... As I went back and listened to some of the old episodes, I just started reflecting on my own journey. And, you know, many times now when I'm, I'm consulting with schools or, you know, you're doing a presentation and you're doing a keynote and somebody introduces you, you try to get your story down to, you know, an introduction on stage um, or you're on stage yourself and people want to know your background. And so you have to kind of you know, give them where you've been and how you've, where you've come from. And it's hard, you know, uh, in uh, just filled out another form uh, for a conference I'm doing here in Seattle called the NCCE conference. And they wanted you to give a description of yourself, you know, that uh, the whole author's bio in 240 characters. And I'm like, how do you do that? How do you, how do you tell your story in 240 characters. And, and I struggle with this. I, I struggle with every time what's important. What, what do other educators want to read that'll make them come to my sessions? Um, and it's hard, you know, it's really hard. I've also had, you know, teachers throughout the years and other consultants who are, you know, teachers who are trying to get into consulting or even other consultants ask, you know, where did you get started and how, how did you get into this? And it's such a hard question. And it's a question that can't be answered in five minutes. You know, it's, it's, a, it's crazy when you think back on, on all of our, we all have our own journey and to pinpoint where it started and to go back and reflect is so difficult and it takes time. And the nice thing I love about podcasts is there's no time constraints. You know, I can sit here and, and talk to you and um, we can have conversations together uh, with other people and, and time just kind of, you know, you can shut me off. And if you decide to shut me off, that's fine. I hope you don't. Um, but I thought in this first podcast, I would just tell my story uh, because I think stories are powerful and we all have them. And, you know, as educators, we want to know the stories of our students 
because it allows us to know, you know, to get, to get to know them better. And so that's where I wanted to start. I wanted to start with sharing my journey. That is more than the 240 characters you're going to read in a conference, um, catalog. It's more than you're ever going to read in a bio. Um, it's more, you're going to read the on, on back of the book. It's, uh, so this is, this is my story. And I sat down this morning and started thinking about my story and, and where to start and, and how did I get here, you know, here podcasting again, starting shifting our schools again and what that journey has been for me. And so I wanted to start with where I believe it all started with me in education and that is, I, I have both my parents are in education. My mom is a retired elementary school principal. My dad is a retired, um, ended up being a, a retired as a biology teacher. But uh, where his heart and his passion was, um, was definitely in FFA or Future Farmers of America. We grew up on a family farm. Uh, my brother, my, my middle brother, there's three of us. A middle brother has taken over that farm now, and the, the two other Udic boys um, went into education. So my youngest brother, Brian, is a music teacher. Uh, Greg, the, the middle one, is, uh, is a farmer in the, still in Spokane, in Spokane Valley. And uh, I'm doing this, whatever this is, um, sitting here talking to you today. And so, you know, we grew up in an education family, and, and that definitely had a lot of uh, sway on wanting to become an educator. You know, I remember after dinner sitting down with dad and even, you know, taking the answer key and correcting tests and uh, looking at and putting scores into his grade book, uh, watching him sit there with a calculator and, and you know, configure student grades and, you know, doing grade reports uh, at grade time. And I remember sitting there watching him do that. You know, I, re- I remember all the conversations with my mom, you know, in middle school, high school, and we had education books everywhere. I mean, nobody reads education like my mother. She just, you know, I think that's a, a it's where I get a lot of this. Like once you get into it, you go full in is, is from my mom is, uh, she just totally was into everything, education books, everywhere, books everywhere, period. Um, and so there was a lot of that in my background as well to kind of get an education and uh, I don't think I wanted to be an educator at first. You know, I was in high school and I was a baseball player. And of course, we all think we're going to make the pros. And at some point you have that realization uh, that, that that's not going to happen. And uh, I w- didn't even know if I would play beyond high school. I ended up, and you'll hear that in the story here in a bit. But um, I think for me, what the big, big part that sent me down this journey and a big part of why I'm here uh, recording this today has to do with in uh, my senior year of high school, so 1994, I'm 17 years old, and I have enough credits to graduate back in the day when, I mean, heaven forbid a kid could have enough graduate, you know, a senior had enough credits to graduate in 94, that you could almost take half a semester off. And so I had two periods a day where I didn't need to be at school. And my dad loved this, of course, because, uh, you know, having a family farm, it just meant more time on the tractor. I could go out and I did many times went out and with plowing fields and, and, you know, hoeing, uh, vegetables and, uh, just working on the farm. But we also had this thing at my high school called elementary experience. And it was where you could go and you could go to an elementary classroom and volunteer your time. And, I thought, you know, that'd be kind of cool. I was, you know, I liked, I liked education. My parents were in it and I was like, you know, that, that'd be a good use of my time. I wasn't thinking, you know, back in the day, we didn't have to worry about community service hours to get into university or anything like that. It was just, how do, how am I going to spend my time? 
you know, here in school. And so for two periods a day, I started my senior year, uh, first semester of my senior year, I went down and I volunteered in my fourth grade teacher's class. And my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Hubble was definitely a turning point for me in my own education. And, um, she was grateful enough to graceful enough to uh, have me come back and volunteer in her class. And so for basically two and a half hours every day, my senior year, I'm down working with fourth graders. And Mrs. Hubble, being Mrs. Hubble, doesn't allow you just to come in and sit and grade papers and, you know, do the volunteer stuff, you know, go make copies. I mean, I did all that as well. But Next thing I know, I'm leading small groups with kids and I'm applying some of the things that are coming out of my science class. I had this great science teacher, Mr. Patati, and we were doing all these really cool experiments and learning about science. And I was bringing that down to fourth grade and, you know, we were lighting up pickles and we were blowing up, um, we were blowing up flour and making these big fireballs and really getting kids, you know, interested in science. I've always kind of geeked out in that area and, and uh, so I, I'm down here at this school volunteering and I'm loving this. I mean, I look forward to these two hours every day. You know, I go to school up to the high school until lunch and then I stopped at Subway and we get a Subway sandwich every day for lunch. And then I'd spend the rest of my day down in the elementary classroom. And over that first semester, Mrs. Hubble kept giving me more and more freedom. You know, I would be, next thing I know, I'm teaching a lesson or you know, I'm helping these kids read. And then I'm, I'm getting more of the school culture and I'm talking with other teachers and I'm out on the playground with, with kids. And I could feel this inside me, like, this is what I wanted to do. You know, that, that was a, a huge moment for me. And second semester came around and I remember my counselor at the time, I signed up again to take elementary, uh, the elementary experience, uh, you know, this, this volunteer work. And they told me, you can't do that. They said, you know, it's only a one semester class. You can't do it. And so I looked at my counselor and I was like, so this is what I want to do. And if I don't do this, I'm just going to go home. Like I can take late arrival and early release and come to school as a senior for, you know, my three hours for my three classes and then just do nothing the rest of the day. When really what I want to do is sign up for this class so that I can be in this program and go, um, down and, and continue the work I was doing in the classroom down with the fourth grade teachers. And so they, they made an exception, which I think is just crazy that it had to be an exception to have a kid go down and volunteer his time. And so second semester I'm down and, uh, I'll never forget. There was one day totally illegal. And I'm probably, these are probably, you know, the stories that aren't supposed to come out. Um, but one day I'm, I'm subbing or I'm not subbing yet. I was, uh, I'm volunteering in the class and the principal comes down and he says, Hey, we have a teacher who has a family emergency. Would you mind going covering this class? Here I am 17 years old. I'm a senior in high school and they put me in front of this class and the sub was on the way, but the sub wasn't going to be able to get there for an hour. And the teachers, you know, the teacher has to go on this family emergency. And so next thing I know, I'm in a third grade classroom in front of the class and I'm the teacher and man, it was nervous <laughs> and, um, it was amazing. You know, I, I really enjoyed it. And I think from that moment on, I, I kept being more of the school culture and that's when I knew I wanted to be a teacher. And so when I graduated in 1994, I ended up, um, deciding that was my goal and not only to be a teacher, I set a goal for myself, you know, when I was 18, that I wanted to be an administrator by the time I was 30. Why? I, 
thinking back, I don't know. That was just a goal I had. I wanted to, to be a teacher. I wanted to be a leader. I wanted to make change for kids. And so I set this goal for myself when I was 18 to become an administrator before I was 30. And I graduate high school. I end up getting a baseball scholarship or an invite to play baseball at a community college called Olympic Community College in Bremerton, Washington. And so I pack up all my stuff. I head across the state, 400 miles from home to this community college. I take the entrance exam to get into uh, the college, and I can't pass the English proficiency test um, to get into 100-level classes. And so I have to start in English 90, so I have to take a class that I can't even get college credit for before they'll allow me to take the English 101 um, that, I can get, that I need to get my AA degree. And I, um, so that was kind of a bummer and, and I'd always struggled in school. I was never a a really good student. I think I graduated high school with a 2.2, struggled my way through high school. Um, you know, in elementary school, I was in the resource room, uh, for reading and, um, you know, I knew I had uh, a disability, um, or just struggled. I don't even know if it's a disability as much as it just struggle at reading and writing, but reading specifically is, uh, is really, really tough for me, which is probably why I like podcasting, you know, sitting here talking. Um, but I, I go to Olympic college and, uh, 94, 95, um, and playing baseball, uh, going to college, you know, getting my A degree focused on graduating in two years. And in the end of my first year of college, had this science teacher by the name of Mrs. Brown who started this thing called the Traveling Microscope Show. And she had written a grant where she was getting new microscopes for her classroom uh, at the community college. And so we were taking the old microscopes and we were going down to elementary schools and teaching kids how to use microscopes. And when I heard about this, we could do this for extra credit. And I I heard about this and I was like, oh my gosh, that's me. I need to be back in an elementary school. What a great opportunity. And so I sign up and, uh, I'm going down and there was two or three teams of us. And we were, you know, we would go down after school, um, or get, I get out of other classes and we go down like two o'clock, usually the last hour of the day, we were going to local elementary schools all around the Bremerton area. And we'd show kids how to use microscopes. And it was so awesome. I mean, kids are looking at bees legs and they're looking at, you know, fly wings and they're just going ballistic and we're teaching them about science. Uh, it was great. It, it was just awesome. And I remember I was, um, I was, uh, when we went to this one school and, uh, there was a, uh, a girl that happened to be in the team that time who I'd seen around the school a little bit and never, I never talked to her, didn't know her, and uh, she was cute, so I went up and talked to her, and uh, we kind of hit it off, and um, in, to get back to the school, we ended up riding together in the science teacher, the back of the science teacher's car, and uh, so Mrs. Brown, the science teacher, is driving us back to the university after we're done, and she asks us if we know each other, and uh, my, my buddy Ryan is sitting in the front seat, and I'm in the back seat with these two girls, and... Um, I'm like, well, I, you know, Ryan and I knew each other from playing baseball together. And this girl next to me named Dania, she's like, oh, yeah, I know you. And I'm like, what? Who? And she's like, yeah. She's like, uh, you play baseball. You drive a blue Ford pickup truck. And last night you were over at Heather's house having pizza. And I'm like, what? Who are you? And why are you stalking me? Long story short, um, 
she's now my wife and uh, she'll play a, a role as we go through the rest of this story. But uh, it was on this traveling microscope show that I meet uh, my now wife um, on our way back to, to university. And so we do the traveling microscope show for the rest of the time I'm at uh, community college. So I'm 19 years old. Um, and in 1996, uh, just 19 and I graduate with my AA degree and my baseball career ends at the community college. My, uh, I'm dating Denis at the time, Denis and I start dating. And of course, you know, I've got this plan. I I'm going to be an administrator by the time I'm 30, I'm going to go into education. And so we, Denis and I both graduated with our AA degrees about the same time. Uh, she goes to Washington State University, WSU, uh, to become a psych major. She was really into psychology. And I was going to be an educator and uh, went to Eastern, so to move back home to Spokane. And so I spend one year at Eastern, and uh, Eastern Washington University and Washington State University are about an hour and a half apart, about 90 miles apart. And so we spent every weekend driving back and forth uh, between each other's houses um, and dorm rooms and such and, and, you know, going to school and, and doing the things you do and going to school, you know, um, wanting to focus in on being an elementary educator. And so I spent one year at Eastern and thought, well, this, this is enough. I can't stand being away from her. So I transferred down to WSU. And the reason why I tell this part of the story, because when you look at the data, very few kids, even today go to one school and, I find it fascinating that I looked at that data and the more people I talk to, the more people, the more stories I hear of educators and just people in general, hardly anybody goes four years to the same school. And I thought my, you know, situation of going to community college, then going to one four-year school, then graduating from another four-year school was unique and come to find out that's more standard than just going to four years of college. And I think we need to think about that in education. We need to think about the paths that students take. And it's not this come in as a freshman, go out as a senior. That's not the path that the majority of, of students take in America. And so I, I transferred down to Washington State University. Um, and Dania uh, graduates with her Bachelor's of Science degree in psychology. And in 1999, I graduate um, with my elementary education degree. Um, that spring we get married. So we're 22 at this time and we get married, um, moved to Spokane and I get a job. Um, I get a job at, uh, an elementary school in Spokane called Ponderosa elementary. And it was great. You know, I, it was my first job right out of, right out of college. And I got lucky you know, I graduated in 1999 and here in the state of Washington, the idea of standards was just coming out. That idea of, um, um, testing was coming out. And so we had a test here in the state of Washington called the Wassel and the Wassel was first given in fourth grade. So, um, all these positions were open in fourth grade. There were fourth grade teachers not knowing, you know, about the test and wanting to, to kind of distance themselves because we didn't know how it was going to hold teachers accountable. And so I got lucky that here in the state of Washington, there were a lot of fourth grade positions open. Uh, there were six of us that I graduated with in my elementary ed degree uh, that all got jobs straight out of college and they were all fourth grade positions, <laughs> which I thought was interesting because that's where you should put your brand new teachers is in the grade that we're starting off this idea of standardized testing. And that first job, you know, 
was really where I, I kind of started getting into the tech piece. And during my my grad program or during my um, bachelor's program, there were two things that I remember. Um, I remember that um, Dania had a computer that was a Windows 3.1, and I played around with that computer. I think I had to reformat it five, six times. I was constantly dinking around on that computer. And in the tech class I had at university, we had to build a website and we had to code it from scratch. Like there weren't the programs there were today. And we were in a team. I remember there was a team of four of us and we created this little website that was basically a picture book uh, for kids online. And in that same class, this is the crazy part. On one part of the class, we're building websites. And on the other part of the class, I'm assessed on how to take a film strip and wire a projector and to get the film strip to go through the projector and get on the other reel. And then after you're done playing the movie for the kids, you know, being able to rewind between the two reels, if you remember that. Um, It was just that crazy time of this old technology of film strips and the new technology of the web. And I kind of, you know, hit that uh, in my, um, just the timing, you know, timing of where I was with, becoming an educator. So in 1999, I, you know, we get, uh, we get married in May of 99. Uh, and then I, I get my job to start. And when I was reflecting on this, you know, I'm a millennial educator. My first year of teaching is 1999, 2000 school year. And we talk a lot about the millennial generation and, uh, I'm a millennial teacher. I started my career right at, uh, the year 2000. And that first year was crazy. You know, the school I ended up, Ponderosa Elementary in Spokane, Washington, had these things called Alpha Smarts. And they weren't being used a whole lot by the teachers at the school. Um, so I took them and I was dinking around with them and playing with them with the kids. And we were typing stories and trying to get them to print. And they had a little infrared communication device. And we were constant. I was constantly playing with those things. At the same time, we had... Um, the server room at our school kept going down. And all of a sudden, you know, you'd be in the middle of the day and even your desktop computer as a teacher would just stop working. Like we didn't have a connection for email or anything. And so the tech peop- the tech guy for the district had to keep running out to our school and trying to fix it. And he knew I was kind of into tech and I like this tech thing. And so he grabbed me one day. He's like, look, I really need your help. He's like, I'm going to take you into the server room and I'm going to show you how to fix this. I'm like, all right, that's kind of cool. I I can help my, help my school out. And, uh, so we walk into the server room and if you've ever been in a server room, you know, you've probably seen them on TV, lights everywhere, cables running everywhere. And, uh, he's like, he goes, I don't know what's going on, but we keep blowing out these ports. He's like, so what you need to do is like, you know, go look in the classroom and you'll see a port number on the classroom and you come in here and you find that port number here, unplug that cable. He's like, and, and plug it into another slot until it starts blinking. And once it starts blinking, you know, you've got a live slot. And he's like, we keep blowing them out. And I'm like, what in the world? So I became the de facto uh, tech guru at the school because I knew how to go in and unplug a cable from a switch that wasn't lit up and just started plugging it into other ports until one started lighting up. And uh, the teachers thought I was amazing. You know, here's this young kid, first year teacher, and all of a sudden I'm fixing everybody's computer problems. Um, at the same time, the the school, you know, this is 2000, schools are starting to put on websites. And so because I built this little website in my university, I was like, oh, you know what? I can build us a little website. So I built this little website for our school. It was the first website the school had ever had. 
tied it to the district account, um, and, you know, contacted the district and said, you know, here's our little website if you want to connect to it. We put little things up there. You know, I had the little weather widget from back in the day, and we had announcements of things that were coming. And um, at the same time, we had a, 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 um, a student group. Well, it wasn't student group. It was uh, these two guys out of Oregon called We Care Sports. And they come in and they do juggling with kids. And it was all about this PE thing. And they stopped by our school. Great guys, really great guys. And the kids loved them. And they would juggle with the kids and show the kids how to jump rope differently. And um, we were meeting with them. They were there, I think, for two days. And we sat down in the lunchroom one day with them, me and some other teachers in the lunchroom. And they started talking and they wanted to build a website. And one of the other teachers in the room was like, well, Jeff builds websites. He built the website for our school. And I'm like, well the school website is just this dinky one pager. Like what you guys need is something more than that. And they're, they're selling products on their page and they wanted a way for people to book them so they could come to the next school. And, and they were like, well, you know, would you be willing? We don't have, we don't know what to do. We, we need somebody that knows something. And I was like, well, I at least know enough about servers and FTPs and, you know, I can, I could probably get you something. But I I told him, I was like, you know, I'm going to need um, some software and so I was like, you know, I won't take any payment because I really don't know what I'm doing. But if you could give me a couple hundred bucks for some real software. And so they did. They wrote me a check right there for like two or three hundred dollars to go in by Dreamweaver. Um, and so I went out and bought Dreamweaver and I went and I bought their domain form called WeCareSports.com. You can go look it up. They're still the last I looked, they were still there. Um, what I'll do is I'll put a link into uh, the Wayback Machine Um where you can go back in the show notes of this, you can go back and look at that first website I made. Man, talk about hideous. You got to remember, you know, this is 2000, 2001, where the GIF images were all, not GIF images like they are today, but like the original GIF images um, all over the website. The coloring was horrible, had all these just big, ugly colors. It was, it was horrible, but it was a website. And I learned so much from them. You know, they just gave me free ring on the website. Um, I would update them once a month. They We started selling products on the website. Uh, the website was working for them as far as like people were able to find out who they were. I watch a little video of their juggling show uh, and they were getting uh, booking gigs. And so that was kind of cool. And I did that from about, I started that in, in 2000 and did that through about 2003, I guess, uh, before they found an actual person that makes websites. But for three years, I got to dink around with this company's website. And that really got me into the internet. You know, I had to learn about servers and domain names and uh, hosting. Um, I learned about traffic. Um, I learned a little bit about CEO or C. Yeah, CEO is coming out. Search engine optimization starts coming out around this time too. So I'm playing, I'm dinking with all this stuff in the side, you know, and um, it was fantastic. So I teach for one year at Ponderosa Elementary from 99 to 2000. And then my uh, wife, Dania, had gone from Washington State University, graduated in 99, uh, or sorry, graduated in 98. She graduated a year before me. She graduated in 98 with her Bachelor's of Science degree in psychology and decided she wanted to become a school counselor. So she transferred up to Eastern Washington University, where I was for one year, to get her master's degree in school counseling. So it worked out good. She was at, she had, did her last year at, um, at Eastern to become a school counselor, get her master's degree in school counseling while I'm working at Ponderosa Elementary, both in Spokane. And she graduates with her master's degree and is ready to become a school counselor. You know, I've just finished my first year of work and 
I, I will blame my wife for this. Um, she knows I blame her for this. So this isn't not anything. <laughs> this is I'm not hiding anything here or, or giving away any secrets. But in the summer of 2000, I've just finished my first year of teaching. And all of a sudden, we decide we want to do something different. We didn't want to stay in Spokane. My family was from Spokane. Her family's from over in the uh, on the peninsula here in the state of Washington. So in the Bremerton area where we went to community college together. And uh, we wanted something different. And we didn't know what that was, but we didn't want want to stay here. And this is my wife has this amazing, incredible adventure side um, that has always pushed me to not be normal. And so in the summer of 2000, I finished one year of teaching. My wife has just finished her master's degree in school counseling. And we decide that we're going to pack up everything we own and moved to New York. Now, I am raised a farm boy. And so when my wife says she wants to live somewhere else, I'm like, perfect. Let's move to Casper, Wyoming. That's where I want to go. I want to go in the middle of nowhere. Very few people, small school district. I'm going to become a principal, maybe even a superintendent. That would be awesome. My wife wants to move to New York City. She wants to be in big cities. She wants to experience all the life of the big cities have to offer. And so we came to an agreement that we'd be in the state of New York, but we'd be upstate New York in the Albany area. And so in the summer of 2000, we pack up, literally pack up everything we own into a storage unit, except for these three plants. So we're, what are we at this time? 23, 24 years old. We pack up everything we own into a storage unit except for three plants that we couldn't live without because my my wife had had these plants forever. So she loved her plants. So we had these three plants and we had the propane tank from uh, our barbecue because when we looked into moving companies, moving companies wouldn't move a propane tank. They just move the barbecue. You had to, and we never thought of course that you could just like sell the propane tank and buy a new one when you got to New York. Like that just was not in our mindset. So we drive across the country no jobs, uh, had quit a perfectly good continuing contract in Spokane. And we drive across the country in two and a half days, just pedal to the metal to get to Albany, New York. We don't have jobs. We have a little bit of money saved up. We don't have a place to stay. We're trying to do this, trying to keep our money as long as possible. And so we find a KOA campground and we pitch a tent and we camp. And our idea was, is that in the state of Washington, there's this big hiring um, push in August. And so we were there in time for the hiring push of August. Problem is, that's not what happens in New York. Um, The hiring season is much earlier in like April, May time. And so we camped there for like three weeks. It's raining, it's wet. Our mattress in our tent um, has a hole in it. So we're like, we're blowing it up every night. And by the time you wake up in the morning, we're sleeping on the ground. During the day, we're going around to all of these um, school districts, giving them our resumes. We're, because we were in Albany, we're at the, state to, at the state of education right there in Albany, trying to get our New York teaching certificates because we had Washington state certificates. It was just this crazy time. And so for three weeks, we are in New York trying to get jobs. And we tried to rent an apartment and nobody rent us an apartment because we didn't have any income. We didn't have a job. And uh, we had enough money saved up for, you know, to get in the first last month's rent. But um, we didn't have jobs, so nobody would rent us a, a rent us a house. And meanwhile, we would go to the mall and we would log on to the internet and we would be looking back in the state of Washington as a backup plan to come back to the state of Washington and um, maybe to get jobs here. And sure enough, one day a school counseling position comes open 
in Ocosta, um, uh, Washington, and uh, which is down by Olympia, the capital, about an hour um, outside of the capital. And so my wife applies for it. So Dania applies for the job. And we are thinking like, oh, what are we going to do now? And she applies for the job over the internet and uh, they call her. They, we had our first cell phone. They call her and uh, they say they wanted to interview her and they wanted to know if she could come in within the next couple of days. And we were like, well, actually, we're in New York. Um, can you give us a week? We'll get back in a week. And so they were, they were really nice and they were like, yep, we'll see you in a week. And so then we had a decision to make. Do we give up on this dream of making it in upstate New York and doing something different or do we go back? Do we go back to uh, the state of Washington? And it was a hard decision for us to kind of like, this was our first big failure, you know, as a couple, we'd only been married a year, uh, trying to make it on our own, establish ourselves. And here we are, you know, failing and going back to uh, the state of Washington. So that's what we did. We uh, drove back and uh, my wife interviewed for the job and got it. I interviewed for a fourth grade position at the school district next door at Aberdeen School District. And uh, there was a fourth grade position open and ended up getting that fourth grade position. So we're back in uh, the state of Washington. We have a little rental house. We both have jobs now, which was nice because we had to start paying on school loans or my wife had some school loans uh, that we had to pay off. And so, you know, we're this young couple, 25 years old, married for a couple years now, and uh, we're doing it. You know, we're both, ed- we're both in education and uh, doing what we love. And there are a couple things, uh, again, that uh, down my own personal road in this at this time that really just struck me. There was, um, a moment in those first couple of years, I spent two years from 2000 to 2002, um, at Robert Gray elementary in, in Aberdeen. And there were a couple just key points. I think one was there was this, there was this time when, um, somebody had brought a box of apples from the middle part of the state. I'd order a box of apples and the apples showed up in my classroom. And I remember my students, and Aberdeen is a pretty low economic area. A lot of our kids on free and reduced lunch. A lot of kids come from um, homes that, you know, were not good. And I remember I had this box of apples got brought to my classroom, and I had some students ask if they could have an apple. I had fourth graders who had never had fresh fruit, and that was such an eye-opening moment for me of just poverty um, and kids being excited about fresh, fresh fruit. I also there set up that school's website. I started the Robert Gray elementary website because uh, I was geeking out on that at the time. Um, I read this book for, um, uh, when the students were doing silent reading, I was reading a book as well. And it was, a, another one of those turning points for me. It was, it was called technology and K-12 education, envisioning a new future by David Thornburg. And as I was preparing for this this morning, I went back and reread parts of that. And what a visionary. Some of the stuff written in that, and you can look it up. I'll put a link there. Um, it's a free PDF now that you can find online. I, I, I think it was a published paper. It was like a book paper that I read. But I remember reading this book in my classroom, looking out at my students and being like, holy cow, you know, their future is going to be incredibly different from anything I can even imagine. And in part of that, in part due uh, to that book, we also, at some point I got an email asking for this grant coming out from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that talked about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation 
it was called the teacher leadership project. And you had to fill out the paperwork. And the idea was, is the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, of course, Bill Gates here from the state, was giving out these grants to a thousand teachers. His goal, the goal was a thousand teachers, about a hundred of us uh, every year for a couple of years there in the early 2000s. But the idea was at the time, you know, this is 2002, 2003, is that the ratio we were looking at was one computer to every four students. If we could get to one computer to every four students, we would change education. And so that's what the grant was, is like you wrote this grant and talked about how you'd use technology with kids. And the grant would guarantee you enough money to have one computer for every four kids in your classroom. The teacher got a laptop, laptop, and then you, uh, the teacher also got an LCD projector, which for my school was the first LCD projector in 2003 or 2000. Yeah, 2000. I don't know. It must have been 2001. In 2001, the first LCD projector uh, in the school. So I, I got this grant, I, and it was at the end of my first year at Robert Gray. I applied for this grant and got this grant. And the next year, the second year at Robert Gray, we knew we were going to be overloaded in fourth grade. There were two fourth grade teachers, myself and another fourth grade teacher, and we knew we were going to be overloaded. And I knew I had these computers coming. And so I went to my principal at the time, um, and I said, hey, I said, I know we're going to have a lot of overloaded kids. I said, can you put them all in my classroom? If you put them all in my classroom, we get more computers. And so I think the class, I think the class limit at the time was 28 kids. And I ended up with 32 students in my class, which meant I had seven computers. And so I got these seven Dells in my classroom cramped. I mean, 32 fourth graders, seven computers around. I had to network them all, learn to network them all together. Um, They were on the internet at the time as well. uh, And then networked an intranet between them together in my classroom. I took the LCD projector that I had uh, and we put it on a cart so other teachers could play with it. And man, we geeked out. It was awesome. We had kids, I had kids doing, we were doing the stock market in fourth grade, you know, the fake stock market. We were playing Oregon Trail. We were doing SimCity simulations around geometry and building city structures. Uh, Just some really amazing stuff and just having a good time playing with kids. You know, I'm, I'm continuing to build the We Care Sports for just a little bit. That kind of falls off. Um, and then two other big things, you know, those, those two years at Robert Gray, uh, 9-11 happens. And I think every teacher that was teaching can probably tell you where they were the day that uh, 9-11 happened and having those conversations with my fourth graders. Uh, just, again, another moment in teaching. And then we also had an earthquake in the middle of the school day um, where had to get all the kids under the desk and you know, I'm not sure what was happening. So a couple things there, you know, in, in our two years at Robert Gray. And, um, you know, my wife is a school counselor out at Acosta. I'm, I'm a fourth grade teacher at Robert Gray. And my wife meets a teacher who had just come back from spending 10 years overseas. And she starts talking to my, she starts talking to Dania, my wife, about, you know, going overseas and what it's like overseas and, you know, we're like, that would be amazing. And how do you do this? But we have these, we have two cats and she's like, just take the cats with you. Like you can take cats with you. And again, it's, this is like the stuff you don't know or stuff you don't think about. And so she talks us into going to a career fair. And so in 2002, we're like, Hey, what the heck? Let's go see if we can see what this is all about. We had no idea what we were doing. Um, my wife's adventure side really wanted to do something different and she wanted to, to move overseas. And so we took, um, we, I think we took a personal day and we flew to Iowa. There's a career fair in Waterloo, Iowa at the North UNI university of Northern Iowa. That's where the job fair was. And so we flew 
we flew there and uh, interviewed. We had uh, eight interviews and were offered eight different jobs around the world. Everything from Mexico to Saudi Arabia to Kuwait to Hong Kong. Um, we had all these job offers and we were just like, what the heck? I mean, this whole new world that we had no idea even existed kind of opened up in front of us. And through that process, we started looking at the pay structure and what we wanted to do and you know who we felt like we met, meshed with. And we loved the superintendent from this school in Saudi Arabia. And so we decided that right there, like it's a weekend, right? Like you fly in on Friday and by Sunday, I'm shaking, we're shaking hands with a superintendent and saying, we're going to spend at least the next two years at your school in Saudi Arabia. So you can only imagine um, how our parents felt, you know, right? 9-11 happens in 2001. And in 2002, your, you know, 25 year old kids decide that they're going to move to Saudi Arabia. And uh, that's what we did. You know, we packed up everything we owned from Robert Gray after spending two years there and we moved to Saudi Arabia. When we got there, of course, overseas teaching, you all of a sudden, you know, you don't pay taxes as an overseas teacher. Um, so all of a sudden we had this extra income. You got paid better um, as a teacher overseas. And I instantly started taking my master's degree and we started paying down um, all the college um, loans my wife had. And uh, it was a great time. You know, we had three years in Saudi, great kids and just incredible experiences that really drove me even farther into this idea of, of technology and education. So I ended up getting my master's degree in curriculum instruction with a focus on technology. I'm taking that while I'm in Saudi Arabia as an online course. So you can imagine online courses in 2002, 2003, a lot of discussions, a lot of just reading on your own. Um, I was a sixth grade uh, teacher the first year, the second year I was a fifth grade teacher. Um, we'd start setting up Moodle, uh, during the summers, I come back to the States and I would take my admin cert. So I'm 25 years old, 24, 25 years old, <clears throat> excuse me. And during, uh, during the summers, I'm getting my admin cert back through Washington State University. So I'm taking my master's degree at the same time I'm taking my admin degree. Um, and we're just, you know, that young professional era. Uh, my third year, at the school. I'd gotten my master's degree. I just finished my admin cert. So I'm 26 years old. You know, I'm my goal to be an administrator is, before I'm 30 is in reach. I'm, I'm 26. I'm finishing my admin. Um, my principal comes to me and says, you know, next year we're gonna have an IT director open. Would you like to be the IT director? And I said, absolutely. How great is that? You know, I'm going to be a, a certified administrator anyway. So my third year in Saudi, uh, I'm an IT uh, director. We, we start, I install Moodle. Uh, Moodle was really big. We needed some kind of course management system at the school. Um, my first, my failed one-to-one -one program of a Palm Pilot program, we, I talked to my principal and I was like, you know, we need to start thinking about how technology is affecting the lives of students. I think we need to have a one-to-one -one program and we're going to use Palm Pilot tungsten T5s. And so we had a small 12th grade group. I think 14 kids total, and we bought them all tungsten T5s. Uh, and if you remember the Palm Pilots, you know, it had this little infrared beam in between them uh, that you could send files back and forth. Kids were keeping the calendar on them, and it just, you know, but man, we learned so much, learned so much about just technology and good use and bad use, and they weren't the right use. Um, at the same time, I was working with uh, Gigi, my, technici my technician, and we, wire we wired the school for wireless 
uh, and put wireless first down the the senior hall and then expanded it to do the whole the whole um, school. So just a ton of learning again with technology of behind the scenes kind of stuff with wiring schools and understanding routers and the internet and uh, just a great learning time. In 2005, then, we decided to, to move on again. So I spent three years in Saudi Arabia uh, getting my master's degree and then becoming an IT director and really starting to get into to what the technology could do. And then in 2005, we decided to, to move again. And, you know, I now have my admin cert. I'm 20, 26 going on 27. I'm going to become an administrator. And so my wife and I sign up to go to this career fair, and I've got um, interviews to become assistant principals at some other international schools. And I look at, uh, and I'm so excited. Like, I'm like, this is it. You know, the plan's coming in place. This plan I set when I was 18. And we got a phone call from Shanghai American School that wanted to interview us. And uh, we took the interview. They didn't have an admin position for me, but they had a school counselor for my wife. And they had an elementary tech position for me. And uh, still the old pullout model. Kids came to you in a, in a you know, in a, um, uh, sorry, lab. And I was like, well that's okay. You know, we'll, we can, we can do this. And we weren't sure if we were going to do it or not, but we talked to our superintendent in Saudi Arabia and some other friends that said, look, when Shanghai American school calls, you don't say no, that's a school you don't say no to. They will, um, they're a great school. Um, you know, you say that you worked at Shanghai American school on your resume, uh, is a really good thing. This is a really good move. And so we decided to do that. And I figured, you know, they, they knew I wanted to become an administrator and, we uh, moved to uh, Shanghai American School. At the same time, the principal who was uh, with us in Saudi Arabia, and we became really good friends with Andy Torres and his wife, Amanda Dicardi. Uh, so she, she was a high school teacher, and he was the principal in Saudi Arabia, ended up getting jobs in at Shanghai American School the same time we did. And so we moved there along with uh, some other couples from our school to Shanghai together. And so Andy Torres, who, if you go back and listen to any of the old Shifting Our Schools podcast, he's on, he's on a lot of them. He's just a great, great friend, a great school leader. And, uh, we get to Shanghai and he's an elementary school principal on one campus. I'm a tech teacher on the other campus. And in 2005, I'm sitting in this lab and I'm actually only working like half time. I've got, I'm teaching kindergarten, first and fifth grade technology. And so kids are coming to the lab for, you know, 45 minutes and then out. And, and there were two teachers. I mean, the school had so many resources that I literally was only working about half time. Well, the other half of my time, I'm just dinking around on the internet. You know, I'm looking at things, reading on things. And I come across a couple blogs and, you know, I find Will Richardson and I find David Warlick. Um, Dean Shiresky had started blogging. I mean, the, the, the core group of, um, a bunch of people who had started blogging in that 2005 were kind of had taken off. And I was sitting there saying, you know what, this looks like, I think, I think I should do this, you know, and, and wonder what it would take. So kind of did some poking around and found WordPress and downloaded WordPress and installed WordPress on my little server. And I uh, set up WordPress and it comes to the screen when you're setting up WordPress is like, you know, the title of your blog. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know what to call my blog. What do you call your blog? And what does that mean? Like, oh, I don't know. I had not thought this through, you know, I'm just, I'm just setting up, I'm just setting up the blog. I don't know what to call it. And I looked over in the corner and there was a, my baseball bat and I still have it here and I'm, I'm looking at it now, actually, uh, the thinking stick. And it was my 
baseball bat that a, a, my really good friend, Ryan, who had been sitting in the car when I met my wife, had given me when we moved overseas. And um, I had this baseball bat and I'd always carried around when we were, when I was, you know, a fourth and fifth grade teacher, I'd carry it around. Um, and it was, the kids called it the thinking stick because whenever I had it, you know, we knew we were going to do deep deep thinking and, you know, kids would be able to hold it and, you know, we'd pass it around. And so it be kind of became my thing to have this baseball bat. And so I, I saw the, the thinking stick sitting in the corner of the room and I was like, that's it. That's the name of the blog. Now, if I had to go back and do it again, I probably would have given it more thought <laughs> than that, but, uh, it made sense for me at that time. And I still really like the name, the thinking stick, but you know, it's, it's something for me. Not everybody knows it It has nothing really to do with education. A lot of people come by and have no idea what the blog is about. Um, but, uh, that's the story of how the blog got its name, the thinking stick. And so in 2005, I start blogging and I start putting my thoughts out there. I start talking about the things I'm doing with kids in my class. I start, um, you know, blogging about what other people are talking about, you know, linking back to Will Richardson and linking to David Warlick and uh, Dean Shiresky and Peterson at the time and Clay, uh, Clarence Fisher, um, Bud the Teacher, you know, all these, we all of a sudden, we, we're all starting to, to talk together. And I'll never forget, like, I'd been blogging for maybe two weeks. And all of a sudden, um, I wake up one morning and I, uh, I checked my blog and there was a comment, my first comment. And my first comment was from David Warlick and about blew me over. I was like, how in the world? Like I, he was like, never knew it at the time, but he's this mentor to me online. I'd never met him in person. You know, I'm in Shanghai. Um, he's in, he's in North Carolina and, uh, he left a comment on my blog and I remember I, I ran in, it was like five 30 in the morning and I ran in and I, I woke up my wife. I was like, you're not going to believe it. And of course I'm waking her up and she's like, what, what is going on? I was like, David Warlick commented on my blog and, uh, it was a moment, you know, somebody's reading you, somebody is paying attention and, that was it. I was all in, man. I was blogging all the time. Um, the more I blogged, the more I linked to other people, the more people started reading me, the more people started reading you, the, you know, the higher your profile becomes, the higher you, you are in a search engine, then other people start blogging about what you're writing about and what you're talking about. And the blog takes off. Like I had a couple hundred subscribers and I was just like, wow, this is incredible. And I was just doing some, so much reflection, um, on, the changes happening in the school and, and what that meant. And, you know, I'd, I'd helped the school roll out Moodle because I rolled out Moodle at the school in Saudi Arabia. So I helped the school roll out Moodle. And so we were talking about this idea of learning management systems and what does that mean and what do we really want kids to get out of it? And at the end of 2005, um, there was a vice principal opening at Andy Torres's uh, school where he was the principal. And I applied for it. You know, here's my dream. I'm 27. I'm going to become a vice principal. Um, I've got this, this great, you know, went through the interview process, met with the superintendent and met with director of learning. And, you know, I'd known Andy from the school before we'd become good friends. We knew we'd work great together. And, um, Andy called me, I'll never forget. Andy called me and said, you know, I really want you for my VP, but you're starting down this tech road. And what I don't want is I don't want you to you know, come and say you're going to be my VP and then a year later change your mind and say that you'd rather do the tech stuff. And 
He goes, you really need to step back and think about where do you want to go? What is your passion? And it was a big moment, big turning point for me, that conversation, because all of a sudden I had to like, you know, here's my goal I set when I was 18 to become an administrator by the time I'm 30. It's sitting right here in front of me, but do I want it anymore? You know, I I started down this tech row. I started blogging. We were doing some incredible stuff at the school. Um, I could see that my passion was in this tech education field. And, um, man, I had some great conversations with my wife, of course, being a school counselor, she's so good at just making you reflect, um, making me reflect, I should say on, uh, just what I really want, where do I really want to go? And so I turned down that VP job. I, I turned it down and said, Nope, I think this, this tech thing is my passion. This is what I want to do. And then I, you know, I doubled down on the, on the blogging, um, And the next year at the school, I became the technology resource facilitator, and we rolled out Moodle across both the schools. We started talking about going one-to-one with the students. I was a a middle school tech teacher for part of the time, and then like starting to put together and gather stuff about one-to-one the other part of the time. Um, In 2006, my blog, you know, turned one years old, and I'll link this blog post in there because it was another big moment that year. You know, I'd been blogging for a year, had a couple hundred subscribers, and started getting, you know every blog post was getting five or six comments, really starting to, to get a good conversation going around it. And so my blog turned one and I decided to, you know, write this reflective blog post on a year of blogging and what it had meant to me professionally, um, what, how it had made me change even my ideas about education and what I wanted to do. And in, in that, in that blog post, I actually told people that I had this learning disability, you know, and um, we call it dyslexia and it's really hard for me to write. I, I don't like writing, but for some reason I can blog. I love blogging, um, but I don't like to write and I don't like to read, but I will read blogs and I'll read tech stuff all the time. And it, you know, it's one of those things where you get a passion for kids, even for kids today, like third, fourth graders, if we want them to read, what are they passionate about? Even if you have a learning disability, if you are passionate about something, you will find a way to learn it. And uh, it's totally part of my belief system of, you know, I know we want kids to read a range of books, but if, if you have a learning disability and it's hard for you, I just want kids to read. I don't care what it is, just, you know, find their passion and, and help them out. And you know, I wrote this blog post about having dyslexia and uh, not knowing how the world would, you know, how all my readers would would respond to it. And it was incredible, you know, what people came back. And of course, they're all educators. And of course, they're great people. Um, but I'll link that blog post in there because it, it, I think it's worth, if you want to know more about this and my journey, it's worth reading that blog post. Um, in 2008, then, uh, I become the technology resource facilitator full-time at Shanghai American School. And uh, together with the leadership team, we planned the one-to-one rollout of giving every kid MacBooks. And all the teachers were getting MacBooks. In 2008, I get contacted by uh, David Carpenter to start Shifting Our Schools podcast. And David is uh, teaching at Hong Kong uh, at the time. I think he was Hong Kong International School is where he was. And uh, he contacts me and says, hey, I'd love to do this podcast. Do you want to do this podcast with me? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And so together, David Carpenter and I, I, that's when I bought in 2008, I bought the domain name uh, SOS Podcast for Shifting Our Schools. And David Carpenter and I start every every week having these conversations 
with educators. And we had Andy Torres on from a leadership um, angle and we were using Skype and we had professors from back in the States. And, you know, I, I find some other really cool people in internationally that had started blogging uh, as well. So we had, you know, Kim Cafino uh, is on many of those episodes. Dennis Harder's on many of those episodes. Uh, if you go back and listen to them, they're still relevant today. You know, the conversations we were having in 2008 are still relevant today. Um, at the same time, I kind of get into this podcasting thing. So I buy a mic, uh, I buy them whole, the whole get up with the, the board. I started another podcast called on deck and that's at, uh, the thinking slash on deck. You can see all my podcasts there. Um, Twitter comes out in 2007 and, um, we start tweeting and my wife uh, is taking Chinese lessons and I have a hard enough time learning English, let alone Chinese. So during my wife's Chinese lessons, I'm making dinner and I start like tweeting out, I'm making dinner and I start taking pictures of the food I'm making. Uh, I, I kind of like tweet the recipe as I'm making the food and somebody, probably not knowing at the time what they were doing, um, tweeted back to me and said, you know what, you should have a cooking show. You should have a cooking show online about all the stuff that you're making. And I was like, what a great idea. And so I buy the domain gourmetgeeks.tv and Andy Torres, our good friend, the principal, um, is a, actually a really good chef and a geeky guy in his own right. And so we set up this show called Gourmet Geeks. And the idea of the show was um, we were live streamed on Ustream.tv was a streaming service that can come in, had, came out. And so we were live streaming and we would cook. And so the the setup was was crazy. We had this tripod on top of their on top of their dining room table, um, and then you know so you kind of had like this top down view of the two of us in the kitchen. If you ever get a chance to, if you ever get to see me in person, ask to see the episode of Gourmet Geeks. I only have one episode. We lost a lot of them uh, through the years, but I do have one episode and it was fantastic. We had fun. My wife and um, uh, Dania and Amanda um, would sit there and, and laugh at us and help us. And we would talk about tech and we'd cook something for dinner and then we shut it off. We'd eat dinner and, and hang out the rest of the night. So all of a sudden I started shifting our schools podcast. I started the on deck podcast. We're doing this cooking show called gourmet geeks. 2008 was just an awesome year. I start presenting at a conference, um, and get asked to come to a conference and present as a teacher. And this is when I start kind of getting into presenting and, uh, I also get asked by a school because of the blog, it kind of, you know, blown up my profile. I get asked by a school to come down and, uh, to, uh, talk at a professional development day at a school that was nervous as could be. Um, also in 2007, uh, when we're at Shanghai, uh, a bunch of educators get together and decide they want to start this conference. And that's when we start the learning to conference. Uh, so Shanghai was just amazing three years, you know, all of this stuff kind of coming together and, uh, I'm starting to present a little bit and the podcasting and the videos. And it was just that great, you know, web 2.0 is kind of taking off. And luckily I'd started blogging in 2005. So I was kind of at the forefront of it as well. And as we got into the third year again, you know, we'd spent three years in Saudi and now we're in year three in Shanghai. I'm starting to think I want something different. And I don't know what that something different is, but I told my wife, I was like, you know, I, I want something different. And she's like, well, what do you mean by want something different? I was like, I don't know. I don't know what that something different is, but there's something else here besides just being in a school that I want to, I want to try and do. And so we, um, I wrote this blog post and I'll link it in 
as well. I wrote this blog post and I think I called it uh, wanting something different. And in the blog post, I talk about this idea of Google time where Google gives their employees 20% time to work on passion projects. And I was looking for an international school that would allow me the 20% time to do all these other projects, right? The podcasting, the videos, you know, I just, there was so much other stuff, the presenting that I wanted to do, but I needed that. I needed that kind of like one foot in education and one foot to see if I could make any of this other stuff work. And luckily enough, um, the international school of Bangkok said, uh, that they would, they would do that, that I, we would try this thing where I would take 20% of my time. I could take up to 40 days a year, non-pay, no pay, but I could take 40 days a year, which is 20% of a, a contract and, um, take it without pay to do all of this other stuff. And, uh, we jumped at it. And so in 2008, uh, my wife and I moved to the International School of Bangkok in Bangkok, Thailand. I was the elementary tech coach. Um, I started, you know, I had these 40 days. And so schools are contacting me internationally to come and present. So I start presenting more for professional development days. I'm doing some of the local conferences in Asia at that time. Uh, at the school, we're planning a one-to-one rollout of MacBooks for all of the students. Um, by 2009, um, you know, we're... I'm into presenting and traveling and and uh, doing full-time work at the school. Um, David Carpenter, at this point, I think has moved back to the States with his kids. And so that's when Shifting Our Schools podcast, this podcast, goes on a break. And so it was the end of 2009. If you go back and look at the episode, you can see um, we didn't mean for it to happen. It just kind of happened in the 30th episode. Uh, we took this break and paused and stopped Shifting Our Schools podcast. I also stopped Gourmet Geeks because Andy Torres and his family are still in um, are still in, are in Shanghai and we've now moved to Bangkok, so we can't get together anymore. Um, and so learning to the conference starts taking off. And so I'm working a lot on learning to at the time. And in 2009, the international school Bangkok came to the tech team and asked the tech team if we would create this, um, half a master's degree or the certificate with the state university of New York known as SUNY. And if we would create this, um, program for the teachers and the name of the program, it was a certificate program through the university. It was half a master's degree and it was called the certificate of educational technology and information literacy. And at Bangkok at the time, you know, we had this amazing, amazing team. Uh, Kim Cafino was there. This is the first time I meet Kim Cafino in person is working in Bangkok. Uh, we had Dennis Harder, who is now the middle school principal there. Uh, we had, uh, Chad Bates was the middle school tech person. When I got there is now the it director at, at ISB. Um, we just had this great, great team and we were all focused. We all kind of had the same idea on what we were doing. And so we came together and we created this thing called COTEL certificate of educational technology and information literacy. And we took the program that as it came from the state university of New York, from Buffalo state, um, the SUNY program. And it was Honestly, it was crap. It, it was so old. It was so updated. One of the classes was called microcomputing in the classroom. It was this horrible, <laughs> horrible, horrible stuff. And uh, so we took it and we updated it. We asked them. We asked SUNY, we were like, Do, can we update this for you? Do you mind if we write the curriculum? And they were like, please go for it. And so we wrote the curriculum, uh, updated the curriculum, and we started taking the teachers there through um, the Cotel program. And it was a huge success. I think we took 70 teachers at the international school Bangkok, um, through the program. Uh, and we started seeing a shift 
in the culture of our school around tech. You know, we were rolling out one-to-one and we had all these teachers going through this program and watching the mental shift of understanding what technology was doing in the classroom, what, how technology affected students. Um, what, and we had something, we knew we had something there. In 2010, I take my 20% time and I write the book Reach, which is all about using online communities, the difference between using social media and how do you create your personal learning network in 2010. So I use my 20% time to write the book. Uh, Cotel starts taking off. And as the word gets out in the international world about Cotel at the International School of Bangkok, other schools start contacting us and saying, hey, will you come to our school and do that as well? And so in, I think, 2009, Taipei American School brought me in, and, and I ended up doing most of the work because I had the 20% time. Kim Confino and, and Dennis Harder and the rest of the team that had built Kotel um, didn't have that 20% time in their contract. So I ended up on weekends, so I'd, I'd work all week, and then on Fridays, I'd jump on a plane, I'd fly to Taipei, I'd do this program, fly back on Sunday and go to work. And all of a sudden, we're working like full, it was like working two jobs. And, uh, so Kotel starts taking off and, and Kim Cofino and I, um, through this start becoming very, uh, really good professional partners. Um, we see eye to eye on a lot of stuff and we start talking about, you know, this works really good when we can get 25 people at a school, but you know, what if there's, there's one teacher in that school and one teacher in this school that want to take the course? What if we could move the whole thing online? And so Kim and I started talking about what it would mean to have Kotel uh, online and allowing teachers anywhere in the world to take this program. And so in 2010, 2011, that's what we did. We, we put it online and, you know, we're still working full time. I'm still, I think I was doing a cohort in Taipei. I was doing a cohort in Seoul. Um, I was doing a cohort at another international school, uh, Concordia, no, sorry, uh, New International, NIST, New International School of Thailand in um, Thailand. So I'm doing these cohorts on the weekend. I basically have no life. <laughs> and um, we are also rolling out the online course. And in 2012, we launched the online course and we get like 60 people to sign up. And we were just like, holy cow. And so something had to give. Dania comes to me and she's like, look, uh, something has to give. You're working a full-time job. You're working full-time on this thing called Kotel. Uh, I never see you on the weekends. All of our vacations were taken up with presenting somewhere or working on Kotel somewhere. And in 2012, I had to make a decision on, was I going to do this full-time consulting? Were we going to see where Kotel could take us? Uh, what was going to happen? Or was I going to give up on that and just stay in the school? And I decided at that time uh, with the full backing of my wife, which she's totally amazing, to quit the full-time job and to um, per- pursue and see wh- where this Kotel thing would take us and what else was out there for me consulting-wise. And then, so in 2012, we left the International School of Bangkok. We're 36 at this time, and we moved back here to Seattle, Washington. And when we moved back here in 2012, of course, I've spent now the last 10 years overseas. Nobody in the States really knows me. That's not where my network is. People have heard of the blog. Uh, they might have listened to a podcast, uh, the Shifting Our Schools podcast, or uh, any of the other programs I was on. I'd, I'd done some writing for like tech magazines, tech learning magazines. But I wasn't really known here in the States. And so when we moved back, and I'll link this blog post in as well because it's another part of the journey. But uh, I moved back here in 2012 and decided that I needed to get my name back here in the States. And so I started 
I did some presenting at local conferences around and, and some of the state conferences had brought me in uh, to do some presenting. But here in the state of Washington, I just put out, you know, I wanted to help my state. I'm a product of the state. I came up through the public education in the state of Washington. And now that I was back here, I saw an opportunity to to help others. And so I wrote this blog post that is just a free professional development for the year, for the, the school year 2012-2013, free professional development for any school district in the state of Washington. You know, you just pay my travel and I had a car, I'll travel to you, I'll do a free day professional development. And that was fantastic. You know, it was a way for me to get back. It was a way of getting my name out out here. At the same time, I'm mostly known internationally. And so I'm still flying, like I'm based in Seattle, but I'm literally flying all over the world. And in 2013, I ended up having two passports. I I flew uh, 250,000 miles in 2013. I was gone all the time. I did two around the world trips. It was amazing fun for one year and one year only. And uh, it was way too much travel. It was way too much time being away from from home and, and being away from my wife and, and something had to give. I was like, that was great, but we're not doing that again. Um, I got to figure out a way to not travel so much. I want to do international traveling. We love traveling, but I, I, we got to find something else. And at the same time, Kotel is growing still at this point where, you know, we're, we have cohorts of 50, 60, 70 people. Um, we're starting to graduate. We've graduated to this date. We've graduated over a thousand people through the program. Uh, its name internationally is continuing to grow as just this incredible, incredible program. And you're going to hear more about that through shifting our schools as we get going here as well. But, uh, so in 2014, you know, meanwhile, um, Kim Kafino uh, is it moves to Japan, and I'm still talking with her because she's part of Kotel, and we're I'm t- trying to tell Kim I'm like you gotta you gotta come out here with me, we I need your help I can't do all this by myself and you know we can do this together and so we we actually turn Kotel into an LLP uh, um, in a partnership that both Kim and I have 50 percent of uh, we expand it online uh, and things are going well well in 2014 people start coming back to us Kotelers are coming back to us and they're saying, well, what's next? You know, we, we've taken this Kotel experience. We love this experience. It has changed the way that we teach. It's changed my expectations for what student learning is for kids, but I want more. I want more. I want more. So Kim and I got together in 2014 and thought, okay, well, what's next? What do we do with, what do we do next with these people? And, uh, so we decided we needed another company that would do the next version of the online courses, that what, what's the online course after Kotel? And we need to create that. And the problem is, is Kotel is this set of five courses, and we didn't want to add to that, that it's kind of became its own thing. It was branded as that. It's, it's, you know, it's its own entity. So we needed something else. And so we decided that we were going to start this new business, and we needed a name for it. And so like any good company today, it, before you get a name, you got to have a domain name. And so we start going to the internet, and it took months. And uh, we contacted some other friends of ours and we pitched them the idea for this company. And we we're like, look, we want to start a company. We want to offer online courses uh, to international teachers. We want to break into the American market. And so we, we, you know, hit up our friends, Clint Hamada, Madeline Brooks, uh, Simon May, Kim, myself, um, Chrissy Hellyer, uh, Dana Watson, myself, and uh, we pitched them this idea and said, would you like in on this? And uh, they all said yes. And we we started um, this new company. And so we started looking for a domain name and it's actually my wife, Dania, finds the domain name and it's called Eduro. And uh, it means to endure, 
or to persist. And it's an old Latin word. And we are like eduro learning. It has the word ed in it. Uh, that's what we're going to call it. So that's where eduro learning is, is created. Um, at the same time, we start creating these online courses. We start setting up the structure to kind of like, this is what's going beyond Kotel. And at the same time, the summer of 2014, just as we're launching eduro learning, SUNY Buffalo State decides that they're no longer going to support Kotel. And I'm not going to go into the details of how that happened. I'll just say it wasn't our fault. We did absolutely nothing wrong. It was coming from the university. And they said, uh, you know, we're not going to support the program anymore. And so we're all of a sudden like, oh, crap. Here we are. We're getting ready to launch a new um, a new business that is supposed to be the extension of Kotel. And now Kotel doesn't have... Uh, you know, a master's degree backing it, or it doesn't have a university backing it. What do we do? And, uh, I still don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> You're getting to kind of where we are right now. Um, but we started Dura learning we start putting these courses out there. And, um, at the same time that 2012 of doing a year worth of professional development for any school district here in the state of Washington starts taking off. And now it's 2013, 2014, more and more school districts are asking me to do professional development here in the state of Washington. And so it's from the state of Washington that I start slowly growing out here in the States. And, you know, I've, I've keynoted state conferences from Georgia to Iowa, um, and, and everywhere in between. And, uh, I still love going and doing that. I love a good, obviously I can talk. That's not a problem for me. Um, but, uh, so all of this is going on and I get contacted by the, in, in 2012, one of the school districts we, we worked with was, uh, one of the school districts I worked with and gave a free day PD was Marysville school district, 30 miles North here of Seattle. And, um, I really hit it off with the superintendent, Becky Berg. Um, and we start talking about what would it mean for their district to go one-to-one? How do we really advance their district? She's a great superintendent, just visionary, you know, saw the vision, um, had a vision for where she wanted her district to go and was lucky enough to, to bring me in. Um, and we started planning together and, uh, we hired, um, or we, I say we, she hired, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> um, she hired uh, Scott Beebe, and uh, he became the, the, the tech guy at the school. They didn't have one before that. And Scott and Becky and the team, and I came in and did some trainings with the school board, and they rolled out a one-to-one program. And part of that was needing professional development for the teachers behind it, because this is a massive shift for teachers, as anybody knows who's gone through a, a one-to-one program a massive shift. So, uh, Scott Beebe's on board, Becky's there. Um, they come to us and they're like, Hey, we need this professional development. Um, how do we do this? And so I went back to the Dura learning team and said, Hey, what would it look like if we were to do a long-term contract with the school district? We're talking like, you know, five years, 450 teachers. And we worked with Marysville, went through the process and ended up getting awarded the contract. So Dura learning's first big contract is with Marysville school district here where we have now for the last going on four years now, um, been taking 450 teachers through our, through these trainings. And it has been incredible to watch the transformation, um, of those teachers, um, as they, you know, go through the professional development as they've rolled out Chromebooks now to all the middle school, high school kids, they've got, um, one-to-one in the elementary from third through fifth grade. And then they're two to one below that. 
uh, and all the training that it, that the school district committed to giving these teachers. Uh, the next year, then the school district next to them, Everett School or uh, Everett Public Schools, uh, contacts us and says, "Hey, um, we're rolling out a one to one, and our teachers like what they're seeing with those teachers. Will you come do this as well?" And so, in 2016, we signed a contract with uh, Everett Public Schools to do a lot of that same professional development. That's where we're still doing a lot of our professional development today. Uh, Chrissy Hellier, who now lives in Perth, Australia, she's actually moving back to New Zealand, Has uh, flies in here to help with the pre- professional development. Kim Cafino, who is now our uh, chief operations, uh, operations officer for um, Edura Learning, flies in here from Bangkok all the time. Uh, Chrissy's our director of online learning. Um, the rest of the team, you know, um, is, is around, uh, they're working or not working depending on where they're at. Uh, there's been, you know, I mean, people have lives and, and Clint Hamada is the IT director at the international school of Beijing and he's got a full-time job. So you'll see him on the advisory here every once in a while. Uh, Madeline Brooks just finished up a degree is, is kind of at the, um, is looking at a transition for herself is headed back to Australia, uh, and isn't involved in the day-to-day work. Simon May is, kind of uh, really focused on the Learning 2. Uh, he was part of starting the Learning 2 conference in Warsaw. And he is uh, is kind of stepped away from Edura Learning now and, and focused on that and focused on his day-to-day job as a, as a tech teacher there. Um, and then uh, Dana Watts moved back overseas and, and is now in Hong Kong as well. So at the moment in time right now, really the, the core of um, Edura Learning has come down to be uh, you know myself, Chrissy Hellyer, and Kim Cofino. And throughout this podcast, or through shifting our schools and, and more as we get into this, you're going to see that that the three of us have really focused and kind of taken this on, and you know we're supported by an advisory board, which you'll hear more about as we get through this as well. Um, but uh, so the three of us have really taken this on as as our work. Um, in 2016, uh, we started thinking about what does online learning look like now? You know, we've got the Cotel program. And in 2016, we launched these things called micro-credentials, or we started planning micro-credentials in 2016. I really think there's something there for the future of education. Um, in, two, in 2017, then, we actually launched. So this last year, we just launched our micro-credentials in September. So every year, we're going to launch our micro-credentials in, around that September timeline. It's 20 weeks uh, that you can to spend with us in deep learning, which I just love. Um, Kim and Chrissy just uh, co-authored a book called Your Connected Classroom. A great book. You can find it on Amazon. I'll make sure I put the link in the link in the notes. And uh, they were nice enough to add me as a co-author. Uh, but really, it was Kim and Chrissy who who did that book uh, and just some really great stuff. And then also, you know, I've got to give credit Kim, Chrissy, and I were in a meeting and we were talking about like, what are our passion projects and what do we like to work on? And, um, I said, you know, I, I miss, I miss podcasting. I miss those days of, of, of talking to people and talking with people and interviewing people. And, um, Kim and Chrissy both encouraged me. They're like, you know, you need to do that. That's, you know, that's your own professional development. And, and so I, I just, I can't thank Kim and Chrissy enough for pushing me to get back into this, um, to start the podcast. Uh, you know, we're bringing shifting our schools podcast under the Eduro umbrella. So it's being sponsored in the background by Eduro as far as my time and energy and bandwidth and, you know, everything that goes into making a podcast, uh, so I'm so grateful for them for for supporting me in this and making this part of my job now um, with with our company. Um, so 
you know, we've got a lot of going on at the same time. We've just merged Cotel with Eduro Learning. So they're one company, again, just kind of bringing stuff together. Um, so Cotel is going to remain all, you know, the same as it is. But in the background, on the financial side, as an edupreneur, um, you know, we're just able to bring bring systems together and, you know, we don't have to have eight domains and we don't have to have two different CPAs and we don't have to file taxes four different ways. Like we're just bringing stuff together, uh, in order to make this work. So that's the story. I don't have any idea how long this is probably, this is probably like a four hour podcast. Um, but I don't care. You're, uh, you can shut it off if you want, but you know, people want to know what the story is and they want to know how did you get to where you are? Well, that's it. That's the story of, of how we started Shifting Our Schools podcast again. You know, it, it's, it's an incredible journey that everybody goes on. And there are so many of those moments along the way that were defining uh, to, to me and, and to us, um, you, know, you know, in my own personal life with my wife and then also, you know, my professional life with Kim and Chrissy and, you know, starting learning too with Simon and Mads and, um, they're just, you know, so many great people that you come across as well that have supported and, and helped me, you know, Andy Torres back in the day saying, you need to make a decision. Where do you want to go? And, you know, I still have my admin cert. Um, and, uh, but I'm loving this right now. And, and I'm so glad to be back here with you. Um, what can you look forward to on the shifting our schools podcast? Cause you haven't heard anything except me. Um, I'm, I'll try not to ramble these every once in a while, but you're going to probably every once in a while get reflections off the top of my head like this. Um, so, so hopefully that's okay, but we want, what we're really going to focus on is stories from educators. You know, we now are working with these teachers up in Marysville and these teachers in Everett, uh, and we were working with other school districts around two. We have more school districts coming on board. Um, we meet educators everywhere. We've got all of our co-tellers. We want to bring them in. So we want stories from educators of things that are working. What are we thinking about? Where are we going? And from you listeners, please, you know, uh, feel free to drop us a line. We'd love to interview you about what's happening in yours. You're going to hear a lot of conversations with Kim and Chrissy and I, um, what we've started doing is we meet in our weekly meetings and we just hit record for 15 or 20 minutes and, talk about some essential question. And so you're going to get a lot of conversations from Kim, Christy, and I, as we continue to think about what Eduro Learning is going to be and what the future of that company looks like. You're going to hear a lot from our advisory team. We, um, as a company, have an advisory team that is made up of some amazing educators. Uh, Scott Beebe, who I mentioned before from Marysville's on the advisory. And we've got Liv from LivBits, who's a fifth grader on the advisory. Uh, we've got international educators. We've got educators from here in the States. So you're going to hear a lot from our advisory team as we get together and we talk about the future of education and, and where where we're going. Um, we've got all these co-tellers. You know, we've got Cotel finishing up right now. There's Cotel online. Our seventh online cohort is finishing up. And I want to hear from them and, and hear their stories and see what's happening in their classrooms and how Cotel is changing the way they, um, the way that they, they are teaching. And then lastly, we're going to be doing a lot of just uh, teachers we meet and teacher meetups. I've got three big conferences coming up here in February. I'm going to be at NCCE here in Seattle. Um, I'm going to be at Integrate Ed down in uh, Portland, and I'm going to be at uh, a conference in Boise, Idaho. And so my hope is, is to take the microphone on the road and just have conversations with people and, and to bring those stories to you um, as we continue to meet educators and, and think about the future of education. You know, we are in this amazing, amazing time period. And I think, 
you know, we're at a tipping point of what we're going to do in education. We've got a lot of hard decisions to make as, um, as educators and as a system of where this is going to go. And I think it's an incredible time to be in education and to be doing this work. And so I appreciate you hanging around. If you are still hanging around listening to this, that looks like it's been about an hour, almost an hour and a half, but I hope you've enjoyed this, you know, my story. Um, you know, again, I, I get asked a lot about what the story is, and that's the full story. You're not going to get that in 240 characters. You're not going to get that at the start of a presentation. Uh, but that's the story of um, of what brought me here today, and what started shifting our schools again. And uh, I look forward to spending more episodes with you and bringing you the stories of others now that you've heard mine. And with that, um, we'll wrap this one up. And I hope to see you. And if you uh, hope to see you around, hopefully you will subscribe. We have put this, uh, this is in iTunes and Google Play and it's on Stitcher and it's in TuneIn. And we are really trying to, to uh, bring this everywhere you are as educators and let it play in the background uh, as you're grading papers or you're, you know, just need something to kind of drown out the quietness of your classroom after the kids have left at the end of the day. I hope that you find that uh, Shifting Our Schools podcast is a place for you to go. Um, so we'll see you around and until next time, uh, we'll see you on the network. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.